Welcome to a special election day edition of the Liz Wheeler Show airing exclusively on The First TV. I'm Liz Wheeler. Hi, guys. I'm Liz Wheeler. You might notice that I'm not sitting in my normal studio. That's because I am in the great free state of Florida right now. I'm here to attend DeSantis's election night bash. We will talk about that more on the show tomorrow because we haven't gone to the party yet, so there's not a lot to talk about. But I wanted to introduce myself for those of you who don't know me. I'm Liz Wheeler. I host the aptly named Liz Wheeler Show, which uh, we air episodes all week long talking about all the hot button issues, politics, cultural issues, especially what Republicans can do to actually win back our country. You can find the show on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, anywhere you watch or listen to podcasts, Rumble, YouTube, your favorite venue of choice. Um, I also travel around and give speeches at college campuses, at conferences all over the country. I'm the lady with the baby in the airport. If you ever see the lady with the stroller and the diaper bag and you're just wondering how she gets through with all that stuff, it's probably me. Um, I'm married to a medical provider who very courageously lost his job they're actually after the first wave of COVID outbreak because he refused or he declined to take a vaccine that he did not otherwise want. So that's a little picture of who I am. Again, I'd love if you subscribed to my show or you can wait until the end of this special and see if you like it before you subscribe. But what we're going to talk about today, it's election day today. I don't know about you, but there's always that little bit of adrenaline in the air. It's a pretty exciting day. Although I think it's honestly a little bit more accurate to call it election season. At this point, it's not really just election day anymore with this universal mail-in ballot shenanigans and with the early voting. I don't trust exit polls, so I know exit polls are starting to trickle in once it hits noon, three o'clock, but people are still voting and exit polls are notoriously inaccurate. It's just our way of trying to get into trying to get a peek into what's going on. So we'll talk about results after the results actually come in. I personally expect Republicans to win both houses because, not because of any any certain political issue, but simply statistically speaking, the party that holds the, the White House in the first midterm election, that party usually faces a referendum. They usually lose about 25 seats, at least in the House of Representatives. So that's just history speaking, the history of our country. We'll see how many of the Democrats lose tonight. But what I actually wanna talk about today is I wanna talk about what this means in a larger sense. Joe Biden, regardless of who wins the House of Representatives, regardless of who ha holds the majority in the U.S. Senate, Joe Biden is a Democrat and he is still going to be in the White House for two more years. So if there is this proverbial red wave, which I expect there to be, what does this actually mean? What can Republicans in Congress, especially if they hold majorities in both houses, what can they realistically do over the course of the next two years, not just holding off Biden's radical leftist Marxist agenda, but what can they do proactively? That's what I want to talk about today. And I want to talk about what a huge role you and I play in that specific scenario when the presidency is held by a Democrat, but Republicans hold hopefully a solid majority in both the House and the Senate. Also, we don't know the numbers yet. Speculation's kind of fun, kind of risky, but it's also a little fun to think about 2024. We always think about the presidential election for 2024, but if you think about the congressional elections for 2024, that's actually a more vulnerable election cycle for Democrats than even 2022 is because in the Senate, 
they have more vulnerable seats, seats that could easily swing Republican if Republicans play the next two years right. And of course, it's our job to make sure that Republicans play the next two years right. So what I did a day or two ago on Twitter, on Instagram, and on Locals is I asked you guys, I said, do you have a story from the last two years since Joe Biden was inaugurated that informs how you're going to vote in these midterm elections? So it wasn't intended to exclude those of us who have voted Republican since we were allowed to vote. But I was interested in this independent voter, this swing voter. And I asked this question and got thousands of responses. And that's where I want to start tonight. I want to start reading a couple of these responses because it gives an idea to Republicans of what the mandate will be when they take power in Congress based on the reasons that people cast their vote for Republicans in the first place. So the first tweet that I want to read is from Lucinda. Lucinda said, I've lost a third of my retirement account under the Democrats. That drove me to vote straight Republican in early voting on Thursday. Wandering Star said, being told that I'm a selfish person who doesn't believe in science because I was hesitant to get the vax made by a company that was proven guilty of defrauding the public. And you'll you'll find, I full disclosure here, I've read a lot of these answers because there's thousands of them. I wanted to see if I could pick up patterns and trends. One of the biggest trends is how egregious people feel the actions from politicians and public health officials were forcing them or their family member to get the to get the COVID-19 vaccine, which they admit that they don't want. In fact, this um, Panther1986 is the username of this Twitter, this Twitter or this individual on Twitter who says, I was forced to take a vax shot so that I could attend my son's graduation in person from Air Force basic training. I took the J&J because it was one shot, but I've not been able to fully smell or taste since. I will not forgive or forget those responsible. That one kind of struck me because people who didn't want to take the vaccine were coerced or forced by government officials. And a lot of people are actually injured from this vaccine and that's informing their vote. Then we have the second most common pattern. And that's from Becky. Becky said, as soon as I learned the word inflation, my midterm vote was decided. LaRasha says, inflation has destroyed the, race, the raises and promotions I've received over the last two years. Rick Miller says, I went to the grocery store and noticed the price of eggs had doubled and my IRA has lost 20% of its value. And I don't know about you, but reading these answers, I, I feel this visceral reaction to what everyone is saying because this is everyone's experience. This is not an experience of someone who lives in a city or someone who lives in a rural area, someone who lives in a red state or a blue state. This is everyone's experience right now. And it's not some arbitrary economic cycle. It's not some virus that did this to us. It's the result of deliberate political choices the Democrats made, which inflicted the lockdowns or the vax mandates on us, and their spending that devalued our dollar that led to this inflation that they dismiss when it hurts us as just part of transitioning our economy to a green economy. It won't, if it hurts you, it's worth the pain, Biden says. That just, that burns me up. Okay, so Arizona Bell says, my foreign loved ones still are not able to visit the US because they didn't get the jab. Truth for Education says, I'm a teacher and this is the worst year yet. I want to retire, but accounts are down considerably. Kids are behind and acting out. It's a miserable job that I used to love. Mar Plato says, my car got broken into in the suburbs. Crime is probably the third, the third highest um, or the third most frequent answer that I noticed 
among all of these answers. It was vaccine mandates, it was inflation, and it's crime. Those three things are not ideological, dogmatic issues that only appeal to one side of the aisle. These are issues that people care deeply about. Casey May says, yes, not being able to go to work and make money because of gas prices being so high. Tony Violante says, my retirement account's down 35% with my retirement date upcoming. That must really just, that must be so difficult. Those of us who see our retirement savings diminish, it's frustrating. But if you're like me, you're pretty far from retirement. And so it's not a tangible reality yet. But there are a lot of people who aren't able to actually retire when they were scheduled to retire or who have had in their retirement to take up part-time jobs because of inflation devaluing our dollar. Angela says, inflation and interest rates have caused my business to pretty much close. I've had to find employment because our residential moving company has come to a stop, can't even afford groceries now. Nicole Durant says, being unable to enjoy a city street, a park, or a restaurant in Los Angeles without fear or disgust. And she accompanied that answer with pictures of the, the homeless encampments, the tent cities in Los Angeles that the liberal politicians in Los Angeles have no interest in in fixing. Lindsay says, the government isolated my grandmother from loved ones for a year. They forced her to take the poisonous vaccine. She used to sing and smile and eat cheesecake. She had years left and they took that from her, her, from her family. They killed her. I will never forget them. David says, lost a quarter of my 401k. You get the idea. This, this is, this is a pattern. It's a pattern. Andrew Hagenbaum says, lost my job as the head coach for the Air Force parachute team at the Air Force Academy over the VAX mandate, was harassed for almost a year by a toxic leader who was fired a month after I left. So sad to see how far downhill the Academy has gone. So sad. As the nation gears up for another election season, tune to the first TV for the best coverage on television. Get an exclusive inside look at the American political machine with Sean Spicer at 7. Unmatched analysis and historical perspective from Bill O'Reilly at 8. Then a bold, unapologetic take from Jesse Kelly at 9. It's must-see TV in primetime every night on the first TV. Watch the first on DirecTV Channel 347, Uverse Channel 1220, or DirecTV Stream. This builds the mandate that Republicans, when they win a majority in Congress, must embrace. Voters who are the red wave this year are not voting for squishy rhinos. They're not voting for establishment figures. They're not voting for comfortable politicians who just want to go and, and make deals and compromise with the radical leftists. No, no. The mandate for a Republican Congress is extremely clear. And we're going to talk about that after this short break. Welcome back. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is a special election day edition of the Liz Wheeler Show right here on The First TV. You can find episodes of my show all week at Apple Podcasts on Spotify. If you prefer the video format, you can watch on YouTube or on Rumble. And I appreciate if you hit that subscribe button. So it's very clear when you ask voters, and not just Republican voters, when you ask voters whether they have a story from the last two years that's going to inform the way that they cast their ballot in these midterm elections, there are patterns. There are collections of answers that show you how the American people are hurting. They're hurting because of inflation. They're hurting sometimes literally from the COVID vaccine mandate, whether they got fired, whether their body was injured from the vaccine itself. 
and they're hurting from crime in inner cities. Now, these three things do not discriminate based on your political affiliation. They don't discriminate based on how you've cast your ballot in the past, which is interesting because sometimes historically there will be issues that impact Republicans more than Democrats or impact people in cities more than people in rural areas or impact Democrats more than Republicans. This is not the case in the midterm election. And it makes 2022 very unique, very unique. So what is the mandate for a Republican Congress once Republicans take back the House and the Senate? I know predictions are an iffy, an iffy game on election day, but I got to just sit here and tell you what I, what I actually think will happen. I think Republicans are going to win back the House of Representatives handily. It. I actually laughed when I heard Nancy Pelosi, what, two, three, four weeks ago, say she thought they were going to hang on to the House. That right there is just lying, which Nancy Pelosi is a pro at. And probably the purpose of her lie is to try to motivate Democrats to go out and vote because nobody's going to sit there or nobody wants to sit there and say, I think my party's going to lose. I think my candidate's going to lose. Because it is a truth, it is a reality in, during election season that voters who think their candidate will lose are less likely to go cast their vote. And voters who think it's going to be a close election or think they're going to win want to be part of that winning. So maybe that's what Nancy Pelosi was doing. I don't know. No one believes her. It was absurd. Republicans are obviously going to take back the House of Representatives, historically speaking. And this is, this is what I trust more than polls. I don't trust polls. That's why we're not really talking about polls. I do trust history. And history shows that the party that holds the White House typically loses several dozen seats in the House of Representatives during that first midterm election. So that's where we are right now. It's Biden's first midterm election. Why shouldn't he? Why should he be the exception to history here? I don't think he will be. Over on the Senate, a lot of people are rating it as just a toss-up. Is it going to be one way? Is it going to be the other way? If it is, it's going to be one vote or two votes. I think Republicans are going to win back the Senate. I think we are going to have a majority in the Senate. How big of a majority? That I don't know. We're going to talk about that a little bit on my show today over on Apple Podcasts or YouTube, whichever you prefer. Um, but what is the mandate for the Republican Congress? Because we can sit here and we can speculate about what's going to happen today, or we can just wait a couple hours and see what happens. But what's more important is what happens after. Whether Republicans are responsible with the fact that we hired them to go to Congress to represent us or whether they are the typical squishes that we've dealt with for the past couple of years. So here's the mandate for the Republican Congress. First of all, voters hate inflation. It's as simple as that. They don't like the fact that when they get a raise, it's not a real raise. Their paycheck, even though it's technically larger, is smaller because the value of the dollar has shrunk. This is not an economic cycle. This is a this is a result of the deliberate decision by the Biden administration to spend more money that we have, to print money when we don't have money, which obviously it's elementary economics devalues um, any kind of currency. So voters hate inflation. They hate crime. You can't walk in the city centers of many of America's favorite cities anymore without risking being the victim of violent crime. Look at San Francisco. San Francisco, Los Angeles is the same actually, but San Francisco looks like a third world country. In Chicago, dozens of people are shot. And the, he and, and the headline has been published so often that, oh, 21 people shot in Chicago over the course of the past weekend that we're desensitized to it. We almost don't even hear it anymore because it happens every 
single week. This is not normal. This is not what it, what, what it has to be. This is something that can be fixed. Look at New York. It's hardly safe to be a New Yorker, to walk on the streets of New York City. The American people hate crime. All of a sudden, they thought that they were safe from crime and they're not. They hate gas prices. Gas prices also can't be blamed on foreign nations, can't be blamed on the Biden administration famously likes to blame gas prices on the war in uh, Russia's war in Ukraine, which is absurd. It's laughable. Obviously, that's not the case. We were once an energy independent country. What, three years ago when Trump was president? Now we're not. What changed? Well, Biden is in office and he decided that he's not going to drill for oil. He canceled the Keystone Pipeline. He rendered us dependent on foreign oil, on Russian oil. And he's trying to transition us to a so-called green economy, relying on wind and solar, not even nuclear power, just, just wind and solar. What happens here is you then have a shortage of the, the gasoline that you need because you're not producing it yourself and that drives up the price. This is, again, it's not rocket science. This is basic elementary economic behavior. Biden simply is willing to do this because he's not touched by it. He's an elitist. So he's willing to behave in that way, even though it harms us because it's too far away from him. The American people don't like elitism. That's actually something. There are, there are not too many issues where hardcore Democratic voters and hardcore Republican voters agree on that they feel the same way. But this is one of those issues. The American people, regardless of political affiliation, don't like hypocrites. They don't like seeing Biden or John Kerry or Bill Gates or Greta Thunberg or whoever it may be in their private jets as these same elitists, Al Gore, as these elitists are lecturing us about cutting back on our carbon footprint. We don't like elitism in America. We don't like this two-tiered society where, where, where they're the ruling class and we're the sorry people. No. We saw that very clearly during COVID. We saw the elitists trying to live by their set of rules, going to the French Laundry in California, if you're Gavin Newsom, not wearing a mask, if you're Stacey Abrams, while forcing the children all around you to wear a mask. We saw this elitism. We saw Deborah Burks, Fauci's partner, locking people down, admitting in her book that she advocated for lockdowns without the data and advocated to extend them, again, without the data, telling you that you had to stay in your home, but traveling to her other home for Thanksgiving to spend it with her family, the American people hate elitism. We hated the tyranny of the COVID lockdowns. It, it was not due to a virus. It was due to government officials looking you in the eye and saying, you are not essential. You are a non-essential part of our country. Therefore, we're going to force you to stay in your home. We're going to close down your business. We're going to ruin your livelihood. We're going to deprive you of your right to go to church. We're going to keep your children out of school. We're going to force you to muzzle your face with a mask. We're going to inject you with a substance, an experimental mRNA vaccine that we don't know if it works and you're not allowed to question it or you'll be banned from social media. The American people understand the destruction that wrought in our country. There are still Democrats embracing this. Kathy Hochul in New York said that she wouldn't put it past her, herself if she's reelected governor to mandate the COVID-19 vaccine for children as young as kindergarten in the New York City public school system. They didn't learn their lesson. These people are tyrants. They're elitists. And it's aimed at hurting us. The American people hated the vaccine mandates and the mask mandates, period. It doesn't matter. I know, I know the left and even some on the right were very famous for saying, well, there's Supreme Court precedent that says that governments are allowed to mandate vaccines when it's in the interest of public health, when it's an emergency. I don't think the American people 
care about that, that specific precedent, because some things are legal, but that doesn't make it right. There are some things that are legal to do that are wrong to do. Now, I personally would contest that Supreme Court opinion anyway, but even given the fact that it is the law of the land right now, it doesn't make it right. The American people didn't like that. The American people also hate our insecure border. They hate illegal immigration. They see that cartels are trafficking people and drugs across our border, just streaming across our border as the Democrats try to tell us that it's secure. People don't like that. And by the way, that used to be a bipartisan issue 20 years ago. Democrats and Republicans felt the same way about this. Not anymore. Now Democrats want open borders because they don't believe in the sovereignty that makes a nation a nation. The American people on both sides of the aisle hate wokeness. They hate, wokeness is political correctness on steroids. It's political correctness that ate Marxism for lunch. The American people hate that. They don't want that indoctrinated into their children. They don't want critical race theory taught in their children's classrooms. They don't want their little girl being told that she's racist inherently because she has white skin and their little boy told that he's inherently oppressed because of the color of his skin because he has black skin. We don't want that in corporate America either. We don't want ESG and DEI or DEI enforced by ESG. We don't want the transgender ideology being forced down children as young as preschool and kindergarten forced down their throats. We don't want our daughters told that they can be a boy if they want to be a boy. And our sons told they can be a girl if they want to be a girl, that they should identify as non-binary. We don't, we don't want that stuff. And that's true of parents in both parties. Parents in both parties are angry that Democrats have waged this ongoing assault on parental rights. Parents understand that it's our dominion over our children, not the government. The government doesn't co-parent with us. This is the mandate for a Republican Congress. It's actually very clear. The question is, what can a Congress controlled by Republicans in the House and the Senate actually do about this if Biden is president, which he is, and Biden is a Democrat, which he is? We're going to talk about that right after the short break. Welcome back. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is a special edition, a special election day edition of the Liz Wheeler Show airing on, exclusively on the first TV. You can find episodes of my show on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on YouTube, on Rumble. And please, if you would subscribe to my show, I'd greatly appreciate it. Hopefully by this time, we're halfway through the show, you've decided whether or not you like what I have to say. So I'll, I'll trust that you do and see it over on the subscription page. So we're talking about what the mandate is for the Republican Congress. Republicans are going to win the House and the Senate today. By how much, that remains to be seen. History shows us that this is very likely. So if a Republican Congress takes control, they're up against a Democratic president. So it's not like they can just pass pieces of legislation as dictated by the voters and expect that to be signed into law. But voters have made it very clear what issues they care about the most. They hate inflation. They hate crime. They hate the high gas prices. They hate the elitism and the hypocrisy of the politicians who are trying to control our lives. The American people, the voters hate COVID tyranny, the vax mandates and the mask mandates. They hate illegal immigration. They hate wokeness. They hate critical race theory, which is just racialized Marxism. They hate the transgender ideology, especially in schools. The transgender ideology, of course, is queer theory in schools, another neo-Marxist theory. They hate the assault. The American people hate the assault on parental rights. This, these issues are issues that cross party lines. These are issues Republicans who are going to be elected today need to understand that if they don't take action, 
on these issues in Congress, they will be derelict in their duty. They will be failing to live up to what we sent them to do in the United States Congress. So the question is, how, how, how do they accomplish anything? Even if Republicans control the House, control the Senate, Biden still controls the White House, he'll veto anything that's sent to his desk. I'd like to propose four things that Republicans in control of both houses in Congress can accomplish even if Biden is president. And we'll see how long that lasts. At this rate, um, who knows? There's been talk of the 25th Amendment. There's been um, a lot of handshaking with the air. So that remains to be seen. The first thing Republicans can do if they control Congress is they can exercise the power of the purse. This is something that Republicans have neglected in a way that is, is really a head scratcher in the last few years. They have the power to defund things. That's in the purview of Congress. The Appropriations Clause in the United States Constitution says no money shall be drawn from the Treasury, but in consequence of appropriation made by law. That's pretty darn clear. No money shall be drawn from the Treasury, but in consequence of appropriations made by law. Well, law is, is a statute or legislation passed by Congress, meaning the federal government isn't allowed to spend a dime without the approval or the permission of the United States Congress. The Congress is supposed to provide a budget. Every Congress is supposed to provide a budget. Now, most of them don't. That's the debt ceiling fight and the continuing resolution nonsense. It, a Republican Congress should put all of that to a stop immediately. We have an executive branch of the government and those of you who listen to my show know that this is the one of the topics I feel the most passionate about. You talk about the deep state, you talk about the swamp, you talk about the bad things, the elitists who are controlling us, the bureaucrats who are unelected, who are dictating our lives. There are, there's a two-word explanation for why that's happening. The two-word explanation is the administrative state. Without the administrative state, swamp creatures wouldn't exist. We wouldn't have to play this whack-a-mole game that we're playing. Oh, Fauci is, is corrupt. Okay, whack-a-mole, let's fire him. Oh, Burks is corrupt, whack-a-mole, fire her. Oh, this person is, is abusing their power, whack-a-mole, fire that person. The problem with playing whack-a-mole is that another corrupt swamp creature is just gonna slide into the space of the one that you fired. If you were even able to fire them, if they were a top-level, upper-echelon agency swamp creature that was technically a political appointee, therefore you were allowed to fire them. The administrative state allows swamp creatures to fester. It gives swamp creatures a home because if you have these executive agencies, that's, that's the definition of the administrative state, the executive agencies who make rules based on vague legislation passed by legislators in Congress who are too cowardly to be detailed in their legislative actions because they don't want to be held accountable by their voters. So these, these cowardly Congress members pass vague legislation, they kick it to executive agencies for implementation, but in order to implement it, these executive agencies have to interpret it. When they interpret it, it's called rulemaking. But when it's a vague directive from Congress, their rulemaking becomes their own agenda. And this is protected. These, these people in these executive agencies, these swamp creatures, they're called civil servants because they're protected from being fired. You can't fire them. They have protection because supposedly they're supposed to provide continuity between different administrations. When a Democrat president transitions out, a Republican president takes office, there's continuity of the executive branch. So the function of the government continues to work. Let me tell you, that's BS. The reason we have abuse of power at the federal level to the extent that we do 
is because of the administrative state. So what does Congress, what can Congress do about this? Well, Congress has the power of the purse. So you look at these different executive agencies. Take the IRS first. We know the IRS is corrupt. It's not just corrupt because they're getting, what, 40,000 new agents that are going to target, obviously, middle-class business owners and conservatives for being conservative and to try to squeeze more money out of them. We know the IRS is already corrupt. We know the IRS deliberately targeted Christians and conservatives, denied them tax-exempt status, and then lied about it. We, we know that Lois Lerner knew about this. It wasn't some rogue agent in the Cincinnati branch office of the IRS that did this to Tea Party groups. The IRS is corrupt, so what can the Congress do? Well, Congress can defund the IRS. They can't do it without the signature of the president. I understand that. But in the, in the budget, in the congressional budget, when they appropriate money to fund these executive branch agencies, they can reduce the budget of the IRS significantly. I'm talking shrink it down so it's really itty bitty tiny. They can do that with the Department of Education too. We don't have to fund a Department of Education that's basically just a mouthpiece to the government, a conduit between the very radical leftist teachers unions and the Biden administration. Shrink it down, defund it, tie up those purse strings. Don't be so generous. Time to be stingy with the money, with our money. What about the NIH? Dr. Fauci, as head of the NIH, gave a grant to Peter Daszak at EcoHealth Alliance, who subcontracted that grant, your taxpayer money, and gave it to the bat lady at the Wuhan Institute of Virology for dangerous, risky, gain-of-function experiments intended to juice up viruses so that they were more transmissible and lethal to humans. Bat-derived coronaviruses, oddly very similar to the COVID-19 virus. This is not an aberration. This is not an isolated incident that happens at the NIH. The NIH is a corrupt institution in bed with big pharma. Shrink down their budgets. What about the FBI? What about the FBI? Are we talking about the FBI that's raiding pro-lifers' homes, arresting a pro-lifer, the, the father of 10 children, because he prays the rosary outside of abortion clinics? Are we talking about the FBI that's raiding the homes of people who attended the January 6th protests or even the rally, the speech that President Trump gave outside the White House, the FBI that probably staged the Gretchen Whitmer fednapping, the FBI that almost certainly incited people on January 6th, that FBI, the FBI that colluded with the Obama administration to try to take down a duly elected President Trump by fabricating the Russia collusion nonsense, by lying to the FISA courts, about Carter Page in order to spy on him, in order to spy on the Trump administration, shrink that FBI right down. Congress has the power of the purse. They can do this. What about the Department of Homeland Security? The Department of Homeland Security has shifted their mission. They're no longer about identifying threats abroad to our Homeland Security. Now they're focused on domestic threats to our Homeland Security. How do they define domestic threats to Homeland Security? Well, anybody who is propagating misinformation or disinformation as they define it. Because misinformation and disinformation exacerbates terror attacks, according to the Department of Homeland Security. So if you tweet something that the radical left thinks is wrong, and remember, the radical left thinks a man can be a woman if he says he's a woman, then the Department of Homeland Security might just look at you 
for exacerbating a terror attack. Shrink that budget right down for the Department of Homeland Security. What about the CDC and the FDA? The CDC voted unanimously, or the independent panel that advises the CDC voted unanimously to add the COVID-19 vaccine to the recommended childhood immunization schedule for babies six months of age. Not because babies are at high risk of COVID fatality, not because the vaccine is effective, not because there aren't side effects to the vaccine. No, no, because Pfizer needs the vaccine to be recommended for all age groups, top to bottom, in order to qualify for immunity from liability for any harm caused to people by their vaccine. So what can Congress do? Congress can actually stand strong. They can propose a budget that defunds executive agencies filled with swamp creatures whose sole object is the establishment of a direct tyranny over us. Biden might veto it, but he also needs funding. So Republicans, if they play it correctly, if they don't kowtow to the PR war, if they hit the roads and say to the American people, listen, we are standing for you. The Biden administration is targeting you. We're not going to fund the Biden administration targeting you. And they're lying about it. They're lying about what will happen if the government shuts down. We know what happens when the government shuts down. Not a lot, which also proves that the government doesn't need more of our money. That's the first thing that Republicans can do if they take back the House and the Senate, even if there's a Democrat in the White House. And we're going to talk about what the second thing they can accomplish is right after this short break. Welcome back. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is a special election day edition of The Liz Wheeler Show, airing exclusively on the first TV. The mandate for the GOP Congress, once they take back the House and the Senate, is clear. The question is, how can a GOP Congress, even if we have a majority in the House and Senate, accomplish anything if the president is a Democrat, which he is. Biden is a Democrat. Well, the first thing the Congress can do is they can exercise the power of the purse. They have the power over appropriating money to fund the federal government. They don't have to appropriate money, so they shouldn't. They shouldn't appropriate money to fund the administrative state, which targets us, the American people. The second thing that Congress, a Republican Congress, can and should do is use their power to impeach members of the Biden administration who have grossly abused their power. And this should be very obvious who I'm talking about. I'm talking about Merrick Garland, the Attorney General of the United States, who has weaponized the Department of Justice against us, against the American people. And he won't stop unless Republicans stop him. The same goes for Mayorkas. Mayorkas has presided over the border crisis. It's his fault. He's the one Biden tapped to manage it or not manage it. These two men are some of the most dangerous politicians in our country. They think you're evil. They think you're bad. They hate our country. They don't think you deserve any rights. They will use the power of the federal government against you. They don't think that they're accountable to anyone. A Republican Congress should show them otherwise. Impeach Garland and impeach Mayorkas. A Republican Congress, remember, one of the key functions of a Congress is their, their duty of oversight, their responsibility to oversee the federal government. This means holding hearings. Now, one thing that I will say is a lot of Republicans promise hearings and they use hearings just to get a viral clip on Twitter, a viral clip on Instagram, a viral clip on Facebook, YouTube, whatever, on social media. 
And that's fine if you use that in a in a strategic way for marketing to expose the hypocrisy, the elitism, the the evil of the other side. But that's not all it should be used for. That PR tactic should be used to then introduce to the American people the actual mechanism of accountability. So the oversight of the Congress should be everything from January 6th to the Gretchen Widmer fednapping to Dr. Fauci and his relationship with Big Pharma to Deborah Burks and her relationship to Big Pharma, Big Pharma itself, the COVID vaccine, the VAERS system, the FBI in general, the CIA, and the National Archives. The National Archives is one that I'd like to tag specifically here because the National Archives is playing a key part in the targeting of President, former President Donald Trump. The National Archives has been weaponized the way that these other federal agencies have, and it's full of swamp creatures. This duty of oversight on the part of Republicans should be constant. Every day, they should be investigating how the Democrats have abused their power, not only to hold those who abuse their power accountable, but to prevent it from happening again. And finally, this is something Republicans don't like to do. Republicans should vote on everything. Now, this is something that both Republicans and Democrats don't like to do because they don't like to go on record. They don't like to be held accountable by their voters. But this accomplishes, if Republicans put everything up for a vote, it accomplishes two things. First of all, it forces Democrats on record opposing issues that their voting constituency actually supports. So a concrete example of this is school choice. The Democrats in our country who are against school choice are the white liberals in Washington, D.C. But Democrat voters all across the country, particularly minority voters, particularly Black moms and dads and Hispanic moms and dads, are wildly in favor of school choice. And wouldn't it be interesting to see Democrat politicians on record voting against something that's very important to their constituency? So that's the first reason that it's very important. The second reason is for Republican voters to hold our own elected representatives accountable. Because so often, you, you can represent yourself any way you want, on Twitter, on social media, on the campaign trail. But when it comes down to the heart of the matter, when you're battling against a radical left who has weaponized social media against you, who has weaponized the mainstream media against you, who's weaponized the entire apparatus of the federal government against you, who's slandered you and tried to silence you, what are you going to do when you face accusations of being a racist or a bigot or a transphobe? What are you going to do as a member of Congress? Are you going to cave? Are you going to try to garner the approval of those who despise you? Are you going to try to compromise because you think there's virtue in compromise? Or are you going to vote for what's right because it's right? That's missing in Republican circles. We've gotten out of the habit of voting on things like critical race theory or Title IX or late-term abortion, or energy independence, or border security, or affirmative action. Issues that are important to our country that people care about. Where do our members of Congress stand on these? Not just on the campaign trail, but when they vote, when they cast their vote in the United States Congress. Not only does it force Democrats to vote against things that their constituents care about, it forces Republicans to show us, their voters, 
whether they have that fire in their belly and are willing to fight the fight when the fighting's not easy. So what are these four things that Republicans can do? They can use the power of the purse and defund the administrative state, kind of, force the Biden administration to have a showdown over funding. They can use their power and impeach officials who have been derelict in their duty like Mayorkas and Garland. They can exercise oversight on every abuse of power over the last decade, and they can vote on everything. Everything. What about trans surgeries for kids? What do you think the popular vote on an issue like that would be? But what do you think Democrat politicians, how do you think they would vote? And wouldn't you love to see every Republican where they stand on that issue? I know I would. The biggest problem with the Republican Party, when the Republican Party has won, when we've had Republican victories in elections, is that we've run good campaigns, we've earned the vote of the American people, we've gone to Washington, D.C., and that's about it. We haven't done anything afterward, or much of anything afterward. Today, this red wave, it's us. We are the red wave, the parents who have fought back against school boards, the people who have run for office, everyday American people, not career politicians who have run for office to protect our children from masking, from COVID-19 mandates, from transgender ideology, from critical race theory. That's the red wave. It's not the politicians that we send who are the wave. We are. It's our job to hire politicians to represent us in Congress. It's our job to put good people in office. And more than that, it's our duty and it's our responsibility to hold Republican elected officials accountable once they are in their seat of power. Because never forget that they are our employees. They work for us. We are their boss. We sent them there. And if they don't do their job, we can kick them out just as quickly. I'm so grateful that you guys joined me for this election day special. Thank you to The First TV for, for airing this special edition of The Liz Wheeler Show exclusively on your channel. It is a privilege to be an American. It is a privilege to be part of these turbulent times, to be a fighter, to fight for what's right, even when it's not easy. It's why we relate to each other because we're doing that, whether it's in our workplaces, whether it's in our families, whether it's in the trenches of the political battlefield. I'm really excited to see you guys over on The Liz Wheeler Show. If you haven't subscribed already, please do go to, just pick up your phone right now, go to Apple Podcasts if you have an iPhone and click that subscribe button. Go to Spotify if you have an Android. It's okay. Yeah, I still like you. Go to Spotify, click subscribe there. If you prefer to watch the video form, you can go to YouTube or Rumble. It's You can find me at uh, rumble.com slash Liz Wheeler or youtube.com slash Liz Wheeler. Thank you so much for watching today. Thank you for listening. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show.